Hello and welcome to another podcast by BNP Paribas Wealth Management. On today's show, we will discuss the UK and look at what the new Conservative government is promising and also why announcements triggered volatility in the markets. My name is Charlotte de Capoisson. Liz Truss, Britain's 56th Prime Minister, in office since September, certainly has her work cut out for her. She must handle the energy crisis, double-digit inflation, public transport strikes, the cost of living crisis for Britons, the overburdened public health system, not to mention the challenge of boosting growth. Today, I'm joined by Edmund Shing, Global CIO at BNP Paribas Wealth Management. Edmund, it's been turbulent times for the UK in recent weeks. Ms. Truss has made some snappy decisions and bold promises. What is the so-called mini-budget all about and what is the government aiming to achieve? Let's remind the listeners, first of all, this is a new government and so they come in with new objectives. The primary objective, as we'll talk later on, is about boosting UK's growth. How are they going to do that? By cutting taxes and by supporting households. So firstly, we know that the energy crisis is particularly acute in the UK and households were facing crippling energy bills. So the first thing the government did was to provide help to reduce energy bills or to cap the unit price of electricity and gas for UK households. So that's going to cost the government an, an unknown amount of money because clearly it depends on where energy prices are. Secondly, they announced a round of tax cuts, which were unexpected. For instance, cuts on stamp duty when you buy a house and also some cuts on income tax rates, although some of these have since been reversed. The idea, as I said, behind that was to boost the growth potential of the UK economy. By unveiling these measures in a speech on September the 23rd, Kwasi Kwapen, the new Chancellor of the Exchequer, triggered a crisis. Most of the tax cuts and emergency spending measures had already been announced. So why was there a violent reaction in financial markets and from investors, not to mention the heightened volatility? Can you remind our listeners what happened? So firstly, Charlotte, um, the UK government is committed to a lot of spending already particularly around this energy crisis. So that's the first thing. The second thing is that these tax cuts were unexpected. So this is an unexpected increase in spending over and above what had already been announced, which is already quite a lot of spending. Where does the money come from for the government to do this, to do this extra spending? Well, it's not from taxes. So therefore, it's from borrowing more money, which is done by issuing bonds on the bond market. And it's precisely the bond market that led the collapse, the volatility, with bond prices falling sharply because the markets and investors judged UK bonds to be poor value with such an economic backdrop. The currency reacted as well because, again, overseas investors similarly said, well, I don't really want exposure to the UK economy because of this volatility, because of these question marks over debt sustainability. How are they going to actually afford all of this spending? And so that also led to heavy weakness on pound sterling at a time when the US dollar is already very strong against all currencies. And that's why we saw the pound in particular drop to a multi-decade low. In fact, the lowest point since I think 1985 against the US dollar. Okay. And, um, and also, if we, if we think about the Bank of England now, why do you feel that the Bank of England deemed it necessary to step in so quickly? So the Bank of England had to announce 
emergency support for the bond market in order to stabilize the bond market after this extreme volatility. Now, the main reason that the Bank of England had to step in straight away was because the, the, the sharp drop in bond prices and the sharp rise in bond yields that resulted from this movement in prices was putting extreme stress on British pension funds who are heavily invested in these bonds. I'm not going to go into the mechanics, but as a result of these sharp movements, many pension funds were at risk of actually going bankrupt. It was that dramatic, that serious. And that's why the Bank of England had to step in to prevent this extreme stress in these pension funds turning into something even worse. They had to basically provide a backstop in order that the pension funds would not go bankrupt. The overall context is indeed dismal. Rising interest rates, soaring inflation, a weak currency, eroded real incomes and dented investor confidence. So the Bank of England has indicated that a big rise in interest rates will come in November. But what will this mean in practical terms for the British economy? It should help stabilise sterling for a start because it will make people holding cash and deposits in the pound sterling more attractive because you'll be able to earn higher interest rates. So that tends to help the currency. Secondly, it should help stabilise bond prices because, again, what the Bank of England will be doing will be trying to bring down the rate of inflation. And if the rate of inflation comes down, that tends to be better news for the bond market. They prefer low inflation to high inflation. But the impact on the economy will be negative. Let's be clear about that. We are talking about sharp rises in interest rates by the Bank of England. Indeed, if you look at interest rate markets, they are forecasting that the Bank of England will need to raise their base interest rate to 5.5% by early next year. And that's a big move from where we are today at just over 3%. So again, more than 2% higher. That will provide, that will create stress, particularly in the housing market, because as you remember, Charlotte, in the UK, residential housing mortgages are priced typically off variable interest rates, i.e. off the Bank of England's base rate. So that means that mortgage rates will likely go up at least 2% in the next few months, which is a big, big move and makes financing new house purchases a lot more expensive and therefore a lot more difficult. That in itself will bring down growth at least in the short term, in the UK economy. After the negative reactions, Mr. Quatton backed down on some announcements. For example, he reversed the plan to scrap the 45 pence top rate of income tax. What other growth-oriented policies is the Chancellor proposing? Well, he's looking at a number of things, and I think this is actually not just true for the UK, but also could be applied to the whole of Europe. But the sort of things we're talking about are supply side reforms, helping the labour market and improving the outlook for the labour market, making it even more flexible so that more people are hired and that more people can upskill, they have better skills to grow the economy more in the long term. And that will include, of course, boosting immigration, because as you remember, after the Brexit vote, immigration has dropped, particularly from the European Union, because now, as opposed to the free movement of people, you need visas. So that means immigration from other European Union countries has dropped sharply. And the UK needs immigration, needs to grow the labour market in order to keep functioning and growing. So they are going to try to ease immigration restrictions. Uh, They're also going to deal with the housing market. One of the big problems of the housing market is that there are too many restrictions, particularly on planning, uh, which makes it very difficult to build lots of houses. And there is an acute housing shortage in the UK. So this is one of the long-term problems the UK has suffered for from for many, many years that the Conservative government have said they want to tackle. 
good luck with that because that's going to be difficult. But that's certainly one area they're very focused on at the moment. If the country is in shambles, should people be concerned about their existing UK investments? I don't think so. I think firstly, <laughs> to be blunt, you could argue the damage is already done. I don't think it's going to get worse because already there is extreme pessimism over what has already occurred in the UK economy and in, in UK politics. Uh, we have already seen the government reverse course. So some of these more radical policies, like the 45 rate of tax abolition has been reversed already. Um, so they will be a lot more careful going forwards. And I think on top of that, typically, this tends to be a good moment to be looking at buying into UK based investments. Why? Because the volatility is there, the prices have dropped, they're much more attractive today already, particularly for overseas investors who may be investing on the basis, let's say, of US dollars or US dollar base. Clearly, UK assets in pounds suddenly look a lot cheaper today because of the drop in the currency than it would have a while ago. And of course, in terms of the bonds, the bond deals are higher. So now you're getting, whether you leave your money in cash in pounds or buying bonds, you're going to get a higher rate of interest than you would have got uh, a few weeks ago. In which areas of the UK could people invest, in your opinion, Edmund? Well, if you're an overseas investor looking to invest in pound assets, the two areas I would look at would be firstly, short term government bonds, so-called gilts, around the two or three year area, because you can already achieve a yield of well over 4% in a weak currency. So you're buying into a cheap currency, and you're getting over 4%. That's not a bad deal on government bonds, much higher than you would get in Europe, for instance. Secondly, the other possibility would be by UK-based equities, particularly the large caps, the FTSE 100 index, for instance, because this index is not really a UK index. It is much more globally exposed with oil companies, mining companies, big telecom companies like Vodafone, drinks companies like Diageo, which generate most, if not all, of their profits overseas and not in the UK. 75% uh, of the, the profits of the FTSE 100 come from overseas, and over 50% of that are generated in US dollars. So you're basically buying in cheap pounds, cheap stocks, which generate a lot of their earnings overseas and are actually global companies. So it's a good cheap way to buy global companies today at a bargain basement level with a PE of under eight times and a dividend yield of over four and a half. So I think that's a, a very good entry point today in these types of companies. Edmund Shing, thank you very much. And to our audience out there, thank you for listening to this podcast. Please like, share and subscribe to our weekly podcast on Apple Podcasts, Podcast Addict, Spotify or any other podcast provider. Goodbye.